Welcome back to Beyond the Uniform. I'm Justin Asiri, and my goal is to help members of the military community thrive in their post-service career and life. Today is episode number 379, Rapid Iteration versus Building for Scale, with Vincent Martino, co-founder at VisitPay. Yeah, it's a great question. Um, it's probably not like any other, exactly like any other company or curve, but I was very flat for a long time. And, and part of that was by design, right? We we came in knowing we didn't have the grand idea. I, I've actually never met an entrepreneur. I'm sure they're out there, but I've never met an entrepreneur that said I had the grand idea and it never had to change it. And that's what I did, right? We had an idea that we wanted to help solve, you know, how healthcare pills get paid in the United States of America. We wanted something national in scope because we had the ego to believe we can go solve that, the confidence to believe we can go solve that. So our first four or five years were pretty flat. And what we were doing is really just continually iterating on, on that, that idea we started with, right? We we're continuing to fail fast. Um, and then once we felt like we, we finally had it, we had this payment platform idea um, that was going to leverage this, the analytics we had developed and the intelligence that we had developed over those first four or five years, our, our growth curve definitely started to, you know, I don't want to say it hockey stick, but it definitely ramped. Vincent's story is pretty much the opposite of the standard entrepreneurial success story that you've heard. Yes, he has experienced incredible success. His company, VisitPay, now has over 100 employees. Three of his seven C-suite executives are Service Academy graduates, and he has received over $26 million in funding from some of the best investors in the world like Norwest. However, where his story differs is that this didn't happen overnight. Vincent has been at this for nearly 12 years. His success didn't come all at once. It came through a sustained effort over a decade. What I love most about Vincent's story is how he elegantly merged two vital aspects of entrepreneurship that, to me at least, often seem to be completely opposite skill sets. That of, first of all, rapidly iterating, that is building, learning, and reacting as quickly as possible to feedback from customers, And second of all, at the opposite extreme, building for scale. That is slowing down to build things properly so that it can sustain the load of a massive influx of customers. I learned so much from my conversation with Vincent and hope you do too. As always at beyondtheuniform.org, you'll find show notes for this episode with links to everything we discuss as well as over 370 other episodes just like this. So with that, let's dive in to my conversation with Vincent. Oh, I just took a couple of notes just in case I have the time. I forget to look at them though. Sounds good. I do it. I'm a blue and gold officer here and I've been like deluged today with blue and gold stuff. I'm like, where is this coming from? You know, like, it's whenever, whenever an interview like this gets scheduled, you can be sure that all this military stuff will just crop up. <laughs> I think the guy who runs a blue and gold today just basically decided he was going to get on top of things. I'm like, stop. He was actually one of my firsties when I was a plea, which is crazy. Oh, no way. Small. It's a small world. Yeah. Um, Awesome. Well, joining me today in Eagle, Idaho, my guest is Vincent Martino. Vincent, welcome to Beyond the Uniform. Hey, Justin. Thanks a lot. I appreciate the opportunity to be here. I want to give listeners a quick background. Vincent is the co-founder of VisitPay, a company he started nearly 12 years ago that now has over 100 employees and has raised $26 million in funding from Tachnop top-notch investors in uh, like Norwest. Three of his seven C-suite executives are service academy grads. 
and his journey started at the Naval Academy. It included five years in the Marine Corps, followed by an MBA at the Wharton School of Business, and includes work at Dy uh, Dynamicsoft, Capital One, CEO at a company called Ballyhoo, and co-authoring the book, The Marine Corps Way. Um, so maybe Vincent, just to start off, anything to add or amend with that bio? No, that's a, that's a really great uh, background. I appreciate it. Um, so no, no, nothing to add right now. Cool. And I, um, I have to thank Tom Kent, who was a guest on the show previously. Um, I, he, you know, beat me up about not doing a better job on LinkedIn. And so I get, got into a flurry of reaching out to people on LinkedIn. And that's how I met Vincent. And then we talked and I just heard a little bit of his story and was like, we've got to have you on the show. So that's how we, we ended up here. So maybe Vincent, to start with, could you rewind the clock when you um, left the, the uh, Marine Corps, what your decision process was like and what that, that first job search was like for you? Yeah, sure. Great questions. Um, you know, going back and it's over 20 years now that I actually got out of the Marine Corps, which is crazy to think about. Um, it, it, was, it was actually a really hard decision. Uh, you know, a lot of people always ask me, what made you, you know, was it a hard decision to join the, the military, to go to the Naval Academy? And I was like back and like, no, those are no brainers, right? But they were not hard decisions. At least I don't remember them ever being hard decisions. Uh, getting out of the military definitely was a, a tough decision. And it definitely wasn't like one thing um, that led to that decision. It was actually a, a, multiple things. And my, my, I was married at the time. And so my wife and I really had to balance a bunch of things. And, um, you know, one of those things was um, my wife really wanted to be a physical therapist. And it just so happens, or, you know, there wasn't a Marine Corps base anywhere near uh, any any physical therapy school. So that was, you know, that was one thing that, you know, and I was looking at, you know, possible B billets or other types of shore-based um, uh, roles that where she could go to PT school. Um, you know, I, I, I was in telecom at the time, uh, communication, I was a communications officer and I was looking at the world around me changing rapidly, right? The internet had just kind of come out while I was a communications officer. And, uh, you know, I was looking at how innovation was occurring in the civilian world and, I was attracted to that, right? I, I definitely saw opportunity outside the military. Not, it wasn't that one thing that pulled me out of it, but you know, I really was looking at kind of that, the next challenge and a different challenge. And probably like the third biggest thing was my wife and I definitely wanted to start a family. And I, 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 you know, I respect and I greatly appreciate fam, you know, families who uh, are able to raise their kids while, while in the military, but I was also starting to, to deploy a lot, right? The, all the Middle East activity was really starting to cycle up and um, nobody really knew why at the time, this was pre 9-11, but um, you know, knowing I'd be away a lot and I, I had been away like, you know, I think 12 of 18 months right before I got out and I, I knew it would be really hard to raise a family. And, you know, those three things combined um, is really what led me to my decision to get out of the Marine Corps. And what I decided to do was uh, go and get an, an MBA like, like you did, Justin. Um, I felt like I had a a lot of really great competencies I learned in the military. Um, you know, any veteran knows you learn a lot of really great things about perseverance and, you know, get, getting the mission done and leadership. And, you know, I really thought I had some great competencies for the business world, but what I knew I didn't have was like a skill set. I, I didn't know, <laughs> I didn't know how to do, you know, finance. I didn't know accounting. I, I never even had an accounting class in my undergrad. And so I decided that the best route for me was to go get a full-time do an MBA for two years while my wife went to physical therapy school. And that's what ultimately led me uh, to, to what I did. Um, that's, that's you know, a question that people ask a lot too is, um, you know, I, I, so I kind of put you in the bucket of, of entrepreneurs and I'm just kind of hindsight's 2020, but looking 
back, if you were advising, let's say another Marine and he's like, man, I want to be exactly where you are. I want to be running my own company. What would your thoughts be on whether or not to pursue either an advanced degree or an MBA in particular, if that's vital, if it's a nice to have or kind of how to weigh that option? That's a really good question. I know plenty of veterans, um, plenty of people who run companies that don't, you know, that don't have an MBA, right? So it's definitely not a, a prerequisite to uh, success in any way, shape or form. I think given my specific scenario where I didn't have an accounting degree, I didn't even think about business uh, classes when I was an undergrad, I was an engineer. Um, I felt like I really needed that skill set. Like I, I couldn't have seen myself stepping into the civilian world, you know, looking to run a division or run a, even just a group of people without having just fun, some fundamental, you know, accounting, uh, you know, f financial economics, you know, type of background. So for me, that's what I felt like I needed. So the advice I'd give somebody is that if you, if you feel like you lack that, then I, th I think an MBA can make a lot of sense. I also think a part-time MBA can make as much or more sense than to a full-time MBA. Just my situation with my wife going to school full-time, it made sense. For, it, it was actually really nice for us to live together for two years while we were both students. But, you know, I think you can do it part-time or full-time. And um, again, it, it just depends on your own yourself and, and your own situation. And, and I think uh, I remember you saying when we, um, when we first talked that you were, you were employee number 40 and in the company that you were, this first company you were involved with sold to, to Cisco within mm -hmm. like, I think a year of your joining. And I'm just kind of curious, what was that, what was that experience like? Yeah. And I know you asked me a second half of the question, which is what my kind of my first job experience is. So. Oh um, yeah. 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 Go I, ahead. I, I could bridge with that and then. Yeah, that, that works. You know? I didn't do a good job answering that first question, but you know, when I, so when I, well, during business school, it's real typical to do an internship, right? Which is looking back on it, it's like one of the best things you could do because it's, it's no risk, right? And when I went to business school, I thought that I'd want to be an investment banker. You probably knew a lot of people, Justin, who wanted to be investment bankers. And I actually did an internship in investment banking. And what I realized was, and it's probably my military roots. I really like being hands-on. I like being operational. I love technology. I love, you know, why I got out of the military was the innovation. One of the reasons I got out was to be a part of that. And investment grant banking is a great career, but at the same time for me, I realized, it made me realize what I really wanted was that hands-on kind of opportunity to lead. And I actually came across a company in New Jersey, which was called Dynamic Soft, that made a voiceover. It was one of the first companies to make voiceover IP software. And my first kind of veteran experience is um, the CTO of the company, the chief technology officer, was also a former Marine and a Naval Academy graduate. So I met him and um, he, he looked at my background, looked at my resume. It's like, you ever think about product management? And I was like, don't even know what that is. Right? I didn't, at that time, I was not aware of what product management was. And the more I looked into it, you know, product managers really set the vision of ultimately of a, in, in the software space, of a software product, right? How, how users interact with the product, with the, the roadmap of the product, the strategy of the product. You work with engineers, it can be very hands-on, especially in a, in a junior capacity. So that's what I actually pursued. And I pursued it with a company called Dynamic Soft. And yeah, the company um, grew really rapidly. When I started there, I was employee 43. And within about a year, I was uh, you know 43 of 220. <laughs> and uh, Cisco came in and made an offer to buy the company. And uh, it was really, I think the, the best part about, about Dynamics Office was to like, be there in the um, kind of in the driver's seat of watching a company grow that rapidly. 
the good and the bad, right? And I don't have bad things to say about Ben Agnesville, but every company makes mistakes along the way. And just to see some of the kind of the, both the, the massive success of the company, but also some of the, the hiccups we had, you know, helped me as I started to, you know, was part of the, the startup of two other companies. A couple things I just want to tease out for listeners. So sure. I, I love what you were saying about the internship. And it's, you know, sometimes when I talk to veterans, it's like, man, if you could engineer lots of little internships, because, you know, in a month or two, you learn so much. You can say like, you know, for you, oh, I thought I wanted to do investment banking. This is not what I want at all. And so, you know, sometimes we think of these career moves in terms of two or three years. That that comment about internships reminded me of like, man, you can get so much information even a week in shadowing someone at a company and say, you know, is this the right size of company, the right role, the right industry, the right company itself? So many more data points. So I, I love that piece. And then I love too that um, this opportunity came about through you know, meeting someone with a similar background and you met this Naval Academy graduate who was a Marine. You had, it sounds like you had never even thought of product management, but you were open to that. And again, I know that a lot of our listeners are obviously trying to be as methodical and forward thinking about a career transition as possible. And despite all the planning, sometimes it's these quote unquote random interactions that end up leading to a big opportunity, which is one of the reasons I advocate for, for listeners to have as many coffee chats and just meet as many people as possible because you never know where the, those conversations will lead. I mean, I mean, case in point, even our conversation right now came out of you know, a conversation where I didn't know this would come from it. So it's, I love that part of your story. Yeah, for sure. Um, one thing I've done throughout my career is when I get the opportunity to talk to veterans, every, every now and then I'll just get an email out of the blue, either a Naval Academy graduate or, or a Marine from a buddy of a Marine or my friend's daughter who is getting out of the Marine Corps um, will contact me. And one of the things I do is say, hey, I know it might sound weird, like they're not an MBA, an internship's not like a, a in an MBA, it's a normal path, right? But if there's a company you're interested in or a type of job you're interested, go ask them for an internship. And it might even have to be unpaid, but you know, if it's a matter of weeks for you to get to know if that's something that works for you, like, you know, go for it. And you're going to impress them, right? Like it's your chance to also impress somebody. So it's, it's a very low, no risk really way to go. Um, and if maybe it doesn't take the form of an internship, maybe it has to be a, you know, a, a six week contract, like just to, to work as a contractor somewhere. But I've actually hired quite a few people that way over the years um, in both VisitPay and, and other companies I've worked in. So I, I definitely agree with, with what you're saying. Well, let's let's fast forward. I know we'll kind of go back to this point in time, but I, I want to fast forward to today. If you ran into uh, someone in the Air Force or random army guy or gal, and they said, "Man, Vincent, what is what is it? VisitPay? What do you do? How do you how do you answer that? How do you explain your company?" Yeah, great question. So, um, you know, we actually have a mission at VisitPay. So like you said, three of our seven um, uh, leader people on our leadership team are in the military. Mission's a big part of our company. Our, our, my co-founder and CEO uh, doesn't have a military background, but mission's a big part of how, how he operates. So our, our mission is we, we, our mission is to help people manage their healthcare bills for good, right? And um, we look at those people as, as both the patients who you expect are part of that equation, but also the health systems, right? There's about 2,900 um, hospitals in the United States. We actually happen to be deployed now in 250 of them, which is really, I'm really proud of. And what we do is we, we basically help them, um, you know, as bills, as you all know, medical bills have increased a lot. What we were doing is helping those health systems manage 
give them the tools they need to really help their patients manage those bills, create, create both the transparency so people can understand their bills, which is fundamentally lacking in healthcare, but also the, like the tools they need and the flexibility they need to easily pay their bills over time. So when, you know, when the average healthcare bill now is you know, 800 bucks and it only used to be a $25 copay, things have changed radically. And our, our software and our whole solution is, is built really around that purpose to help both the health systems and the patients pay their bills very flexibly and transparently over time. Where so, did, what was the genesis? Like when, when did this idea come about? Yeah. So um, I, I probably, one of the background things I should have said earlier was I also had experience working at Capital One. So um, my only non, let's call it non startup experience. Uh, I wouldn't say non-entrepreneurial experience because even though Capital One was a really big company, it was very entrepreneurial in nature. Um, even, you know, I worked in a division that was a very, one of the smallest divisions in the company and I'd left that division and the guy who actually started that division and sold it to Capital One uh, is, is now my, my co-founder named Kent Ivanoff. And in, a, in a, a summer of 2009, he and I got together. Uh, we were both looking at doing something new, something entrepreneurial, something startup-y. And, uh, you know, the Affordable Care Act was just coming on the scene. So it was no secret that healthcare bills were about to dramatically rise. Anything you read, any type of piece out there, uh, consulting, you know, in Wall Street Journal, anything you read uh, was predicting that healthcare bills were going to rise dramatically. So we, we felt like we, we had a, a unique skill set given our experience at Capital One, you know, very analytically driven way to help, you know, people manage their finances. Pay their, pay, pay their obligations over time is what we, we had in our background. And we felt like that, you know, the healthcare was the place to go do that. So we, we set out on a mission, like I said earlier, to, to build a solution that helped patients and, and healthcare systems, uh, you know, pay their bills over time, manage their bills over time. So was it, was it kind of like with your, is your co-founder's name Keith? Uh, Kent. 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 So was it with Kent, like you guys just had a, a friendship and a working relationship and you just kind of, it, it was almost like a starting point of like, let's, let's find something in the space together to do. But it was almost like the partnership was there first and the, the exact idea specifics came second. Actually, neither. <laughs> I know I might have portrayed it that way. <laughs> Kent, Kent and I only met in passing. So he was literally on his way out of Cap the, the division that he started to, to go on to bigger and better things. He actually ultimately was running the entire, uh, they call it the, the subprime card, which is the largest part of, by far the largest part of Capital One. So he was back running that in, in Richmond. And like you, he's a Stanford B school grad. Um, and I, I had just come into the in Boise. And then, like I said, about three, three years later, a common friend of ours uh, had had coffee with Kent, I think on Tuesday and then had coffee with me on Wednesday. And he's like, you two guys are like saying almost exactly the same thing. Uh, you both want to start companies. You're both interested in software. You're both interested in finance, right? Uh, analytics. And he's like, and he, 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 you know, with an email, he put us together. So even though we knew each other and knew of each other, we had actually never worked together. And then, um, you know, it was a, we almost spent six months working on a business plan before we actually got the company off the ground. We, we wow. started working together in July of 09 and we incorporated in uh, January of 2010. So we really spent those first five, six months um, just iterating on a business plan, iterating really rapidly, getting that plan in front of people and, and, we, I like to say, you know, fail fast, right? Like yeah. get something developed, put it on paper, see how an audience reacts to it, knowing that there's a good chance it's going to fall on deaf ears, right? And, and having the kind of resilience and the, the thick skin to know 
each time you're, you're, you're just iterating, right? You're iterating on an idea and you, you got to keep working on it till, till you find something that sticks. And that's what Ken and I really dug deep on in those first four or five months of working together. Was that four or five months where you guys full time on this, were you guys kind of working somewhere and just on nights and weekends doing this? Like how did, how, what did that period look like? You know, we had both left uh, a previous employer um, knowingly and he, uh, and we're both looking to do something new. So yeah, we were full time on it. Um, I still was finding time to take vacations and, you know, spend time (laughs) fishing and stuff, but uh, it was, it was definitely a full time uh, adventure from the get go. How long did it take? So, you know, you have this coffee with this friend, he plays matchmaker and then, you know, you you and Kent connect. How long was it from there until you both said, you know what, let's, let's do this full time. I'm always curious, like what that run up period is like for people before they have the confidence to say like, okay, I'm going all in on this rather than just daydreaming. Yeah. Um, it'd be interesting to go back and look at emails and see exactly how that evolved. And, uh, but I would say it was about a month from the time we first met to the time we actually started to meet in an office and start working together. Um, we, That's I mean, so wild. you know, I had a lot of respect for Kent by reputation because he had run the business I was working in and everybody of course knew him and talked about him, but uh, you know, within, of course, one of the, the most important thing in that first month was developing mutual respect. And I can't speak for Kent, right? But I can speak for me, knowing that I, I immediately, right away, knew I, I respected his, you know, his competence for sure. Like I said, he's Stanford B school guy, tons of financial and business acumen, but you know, his, his ethics was right away, you could start to t- tell, you know, how somebody operates. And so that was a huge part of it, you know, but we did things outside of work, because <laughs> we weren't really, we had no employer yet. But he and I would go fishing. Uh, you know, we I remember spending a couple nights fishing with him, and I like to fish in case you haven't told, uh, figured out by now. But like just getting to know him as a person, he was a family person. He had two boys that were exactly the same space of age of my kids. They're older, but um, you know that we did, we did, had to have developed that mutual respect in that month. And then we both looked at each other and said, "This seems like a really big market with a we have it feels like a good idea." let's go get it. And, that, and that's what we did. I, I love that. And I want to just emphasize for listeners, it seems like, I mean, you had, although you didn't have a direct relationship, like you, you had a shared heritage at Capital One, you knew, you knew his reputation. So you had some data points there. And then I love the, you know, just getting to know him like you would anyone fishing and downtime and just comparing values. Cause I do see so many partnerships that fracture You're you're part of the, very small group. I mean, 12, 12 plus year, you know, almost 12 years now working mm-hmm. together. It's, it's rare, just like in romantic relationships, it's rare to see a, a, a marriage that lasts that long. So I love to hear about, you know, that, that vetting process, even though it was a month and kind of a short, short period, you still had a lot of data points to go off of, it seems like. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, you know, we again had that shared heritage. We probably were, I asked a lot of people that worked with Kent, what was he like working with? What, you know, and all, all things that not, you know, all things that made sense to me and told me that he was somebody that I'd want to work with. And I'm sure he did the same diligence on me. Right. And, uh, but all of it, the, the real trust and develop comes when you're working together and, and spending time together, which I think was ultra important. One of the things that stuck out when, when you and I connected for our first call was like, you know, I, th- I feel like we put a lot of emphasis in, in, popular media around, you know, Instagram now as a dated example, but kind of have an idea, 
a year later, you sell it for a ton of money. And, you know, you are, your story, I think, is probably more representative of successful companies, which is, you know, 12 years, which in startup years is like 100 years, but like really staying with it and growing. And I'm, I'm curious, um, we can zoom in, but as you look back on the last 12 years, has it kind of been slow and steady growth? Has it been periods of like skyrocketing and then dropping down and having to cut employees? Like what, what has that journey been like at a, at a glance? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, it's probably not like any other, exactly like any other company or curve, but I was very flat for a long time. And, and part of that was by design, right? We, we came in knowing we didn't have the grand idea. I, I've actually never met an entrepreneur. I'm sure they're out there, but I've never met an entrepreneur that said I had the grand idea and it never had to change it. And that's what I did, right? We had an idea that we wanted to help solve, you know, how healthcare pills get paid in the United States of America. We wanted something national in scope because we had the ego to believe we can go solve that, or the confidence to believe we can go solve that. So our first four or five years were pretty flat. And what we were doing is really just continually iterating on, on that, that idea we started with, right? We we're continuing to fail fast. Um, and then once we felt like we, we finally had it, we had this payment platform idea um, that was going to leverage this, the analytics we had developed and the intelligence that we had developed over those first four or five years, our, our growth curve definitely started to, you know, I don't want to say it hockey stick, but it definitely ramped. We went from having three, three or four clients for quite a while to now we're already up to, you know, in the, in the high teens in terms of the number of clients we have. And our clients are really large health systems, all with many different hospitals and usually hundreds to thousands of physicians um, that they that, that are part of that system. So it, it was a slow growth at first. It's been steady since we hit that kind of curve, um, that curve point. And I also would say we've never, knock on wood, we've never gone through a phase where we've cut employees. Um, you know, we've definitely been through some challenging times, but we we've also invested very conservatively. Um, that, that's, I think, one of the keys, right, is we, we've, we very deliberately, and we've taken risks, don't get me wrong, but we've also um, invested very conservatively as we've gone. When we know we have that idea, right, we know we have something, we have enough proof to go forward, that, then we've taken on either outside capital or, and, and made sure that when we hired employees, we had enough capital to, you know, to, to warrant the hire. That, and that's, I, I've worked in places where that wasn't the case, and that's made me feel really good about, about this organization. Roughly how many years was it between starting and then you kind of like hit that first inflection point? Yeah, it was like four years probably. Um, okay. Part of that too, Justin, is we're, healthcare's a big, slow market, right? It's, it's, uh, and, and so getting a, sometimes getting a healthcare system to decide to buy your software can be over a year. It's not like that in every market. If you're in a, a you know, business to consumer market, it's not going to be like that, but that is unique to our market. So we've actually had clients in multi, multi-year sales cycles uh, since we started. So that's been taking a lot of patience and that's not a virtue, I would say. It's not like one of the, my top virtues, I would say, but I've- you know, I, I really, won. I mean, I really admire that though, because I mean, four years is a long time. And the, the interview that went out just before this, I, I interviewed another entrepreneur, Chris Hsu, and, you know, one of the pieces of advice he had for entrepreneurs is like, oftentimes people stick with a bad idea too long and they kind of stay there too long. So I'm kind of in, in my yeah. mind, that's on one extreme is like the people where it's like, dude, you need to move on. And then there's also on the other extreme people that would not have waited that four years for that maybe more of that 
period of validation. And I'm just kind of curious for aspiring entrepreneurs, do you have advice on like, like what allowed you during those four years where things weren't skyrocketing to know like, hey, this is worth sticking with it. Like, how did you know to stay the course versus thinking maybe I'm crazy or should be doing something else? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, I, I would say that is the virtue. Oh, Ken has a lot of virtues that I are, you know, better than mine. He, he is three or four times now since we started the company said, it's time to crumble this up and rewrite the code, or it's time to crumble this up and start again. And I would say, while I might've gotten there, I probably, I would have been slower than, not probably, I, I would, I was slower than he was in terms of making that, that kind of that bold decision. It's, it's a bold decision when you do that. Um, I would say what gave us the knowledge to do that, or gave, you know, when Kent led that was, um, we always had the data back coming back from the market, right? So I remember the first, when we first deployed VisitPay, within about six months, we saw how valuable the software was to the patients but we also knew that the way we wrote it was probably not going to be scalable, right? And so we said, you know, we could probably go add a bunch of healthcare systems right now to this thing, but let's actually take the time to to basically go rewrite this to know that it's scalable, right? When a lot of times you write a beta solution, you know, you're, you know there's going to be limitations to it. And so we could have added a bunch of systems probably right away and started marketing right away, but we actually stepped back and said, hey, let's, um, let's go rewrite this now, right? And that was, that was a, I mean, Kent led that decision and he gets credit for that and it was definitely the right thing to do. But, you know, what, let, what gave us the confidence to do it was actually the, the returns we were seeing, like we were seeing patients paying at a rate that was significantly higher than they were paying in the healthcare system prior to us being involved. And, and real importantly, we were seeing um, the satisfaction rates of the patients as being super high. And so when patients are paying more and they're, and they're happier, like, you know, you got something good on your hands. And, and I would say maybe to shorten my answer is we, we all, we were collecting the data to make those decisions with, with confidence. One thing I, I really respect, you know, and this is having spent 10 years in entrepreneurship myself is hearing your story, like your, you and your team and you and Kent as co-founders, like you're blending two very different skill sets, like the, the rapid iteration that you talk about those first five to six months where you're putting bad answers in front of prospective clients, getting feedback, changing, 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 like that's a, a very powerful skill as an entrepreneur, but then coupling that, you know, driving the Ferrari, coupling that with, Hey, we've, we've kind of cracked the code, but this rapid iteration product that we have won't scale. So let's, back off let's rewrite it from scratch like that's like you know that's like a methodical very um it's just amazing to see those two skills in tandem where you know i see times in my life where i'm just full speed ahead and iterating 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 when i should be slowing down and really refining things to scale and i've also seen times when i'm just kind of polishing the titanic and it you know never gets put to use and it gets thrown out i just want to point out to listeners that's such um you're exemplifying two incredible traits that when they then they're coupled together it's it's powerful to see that yeah i completely agree and i'd say that's where like an importance of a partnership is so valuable you know I would think to myself, could I have started a company on my own and been successful? I'm sure there's things I could have done that where I would have been successful, but I also not, our company could not have been that I, I wouldn't have been this successful without Kent, right? Like he, he was that more of that strategic slow down. Like I like your analogy, right? Slow down the entire process 
and let's just stop that iteration cycle to, to step back, right? And Kent's really good at that. And I'm, I'm more about turning those two-week sprints and turning a great product out because, you know, we use sprint kind of methodology and how we develop software. And so having both of us together, I think, has been, made the company more powerful. And then as we brought on leadership team, we were, everybody on our leadership team brings a different perspective into that kind of whole process, which has been great, right? And so um, I, I don't, I definitely, I haven't mentioned them on this call, but like, ha, you know, the, the, the rest of the leadership team we have around us has been absolutely invaluable and in, in the different perspectives that they've added over time too. So. One, one thing I want to ask about with that, like now you've got all of these leaders around you, but um, I'm just guessing that in 12 years in going from two people to a hundred people, I'm guessing that there's almost like slices of the company. Like it's almost like, you know, the Paleolithic era. And there's like these different eras of yeah. like, you know, four or five different companies that you've been a part of. When you look back, like how has your involvement in the company evolved since it was the two of you just iterating together till now? Like how is that, how is like your day-to-day -day life and your involvement evolved? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, it's funny you call them errors. I, for me, it's very easy to associate the error to the office we were in. Because <laughs> as we've grown, we've gone to Kent's basement to actually working inside a hospital system to it. We worked in a lawyer's office. And so I think of always them in time. The slices are always in this building, this building. Now we're in a really cool building that we actually had custom built for us, which is really awesome. But to answer your question, um, when, when you're early, you, you have so much, so many different things that you're responsible for, right? I, I was responsible for resetting the modem at night, you know, like uh, taking out the trash, no joke, right? To paying the bills, running the accounting software, you know, um, and, and as the company grows over time, of course, the number of things that you're actually responsible, while the, you know, while your responsibility goes up because of the size of the company and the size of the, the pie has grown, the, um, you know, the number of things that you're responsible for actually gets narrowed, right? So, my, I've shifted to be solely responsible for the product and the product vision of the company, which is what I really love to do. It's allowed me to focus on what I really love to do, which is the product development side of things. And I've also gotten a lot more involved than I ever thought I would in, in the sales side of things, right? Um, partially maybe being a co-founder, um, but you know, I've been there every step away for the product. So I think that the unique thing I could bring to the table is that, that long-term product perspective. And so that's probably how I think I've shifted more than I thought I would. It's been just, you know, shifting more of my time into the, the sales side of the equation. That's great. I, I always think of it in, um, in submarine terms of like, you know, I was a division officer and had I stayed in, it would have been a department head. And I, I saw department heads that were probably good as division officer, division officers, but never adapted to that next phase. And they kind of fell short as a department mm -hmm. head. And so I, I, when I see someone with your long track record at a company, it's like, I just imagine you have to shift gears so much and change and evolve. And one, one thing I wanted to ask is um, how, you know, have you found any resources that have helped you evolve? I don't know if there's like books that, some, you know, everyone's different. Some people are like, yeah, there's these books that have helped me or podcasts or website, or is it just kind of learning on the go or like what's kind of helped you stay limber and continue to grow with the company? That's a good question. Um, it's definitely no one thing. I, again, always have faults in, in terms of, you know, staying in one spot too long and then realizing like, whoa, I should have changed already, right? Like 
Um, I think having Kent there as a, as, as a partner and an inspiration definitely helps. Having a leadership team around me, not only do I look at them as peers, I look at them as what feed, uh, ways to get feedback and, and, and mentors, right? We all have different capabilities where we're mentoring each other every day. Uh, I also have mentors outside the company. I think that's important. Um, there's two or three people that I regularly interact with that are good at certain things I know they're good at. And I look, I look to them for, for mentorship, for feedback, for coaching, um, you know, set up coffees with them and have discussions. I think that's one of the biggest kind of sources of, of how I like try to develop myself. I love that. I remember from our first conversation, you had talked about Robert Mittendorf, who I believe is on, on your board or advisors from uh, Nor Norwest. And I imagine, um, I can only imagine the quality of advice you get from someone like that and how that shapes your your thinking. And, and one question I have for listeners is, um, any advice with their, let's say, mentors as they find them, like how frequently to meet with them? Like, do you ever give them equity in the company or is it like more of just like a friendship or like how to make sure that you're not overstepping your bounds in terms of asking for advice or feedback? That's a great question. Um, I don't have a set answer to that. Like, I think it depends on the person you're interacting with. Maybe more as an anecdote to share is like Kent and I actually had it. One of our similarities when we met was we had a common mentor. We didn't know it when we met. He is actually a former Navy person. Uh, he was a naval naval officer back in you know the 70s or something, and he had started one of the first software companies in Boise, um, which was an accounting software that you know was very successful that sold I think to like AT and T or something. But um, he was a mentor to us independently, and um, over the years I've definitely engaged him on different questions and different kind of um, you know just opportunities to speak with him and learn from him. And I, I, there was never a set pattern of doing that. Maybe there was times where I met with him within 60 days or a couple months apart. And other times it's more like once a year. Right. And so, um, and we can't, I both still stay in touch with him. Um, and then there's other people like there's peers, close friends of mine who are again, really good at something that I know they're good at. And I look and I respect, and I'll, I'll meet with them much more regularly for coffee. I haven't given any of them uh, equity in the company. Right. But, um, it, it is something that I think you, you should consider it, you know, to the extent that if that person's really involved or has a turnkey kind of um, thing that they've done for you, I, I would definitely consider the equity piece. And I, I also wanted to ask about, you, you co-authored a book, The Marine Corps Way. Um, what would you want listeners to know about that book and also just kind of that process of, of writing a book for you? Yeah, wow. That, so again, that was about 20 years ago almost. And it was a, it, it was a book that evolved out of a business school project that a, a fellow Marine and I uh, did while we were at, at the Wharton School. Um, and so we were fortunate enough to both write papers as part of our um, curriculum. And it got picked up by, his first got picked up by Harvard Business Review. And then uh, mine got reviewed and we got a book offer out of it. And so um, I don't want to say it was just something we stumbled upon because we worked really hard at kind of creating this, the, the work that we did was, you know, part of the curriculum we did at Wharton in leadership, but the, the book really is, what we did was we really broke down the Marine Corps framework for how they go to battle, which is called maneuver warfare. And we broke it down into like kind of the, the essential components of what maneuver warfare was. And then we applied that to business. And we said, you know, here's one of the, we broke it down into seven principles. And we said, here's a principle as it applies to business. Here's an example of it as it looked in the military. 
And then we always, in every single case, we paral paralleled it with an example of, of from business and tried to bring it really to life uh, for, the, for the reader on how to apply that principle, which is in the, at its foundation was a military principle, but uh, applied it to business. Um, writing it was really intense because we had, a, I think we got an offer and we had like four months to write the book or something like that. And McGraw-Hill was the publisher. And, um, and so, you know, I think I locked myself in an attic literally for like four months to write that book. And, uh, it, but it was incredibly rewarding, right? Um, I was an engineer, so I wasn't like a writer before that. I learned so much about writing. I always said I got basically like a two-year master's degree in English just by writing that book. And I um, just getting it and seeing it on, on a shelf. Back then, this was like when Amazon was first coming on the scene, right? So you actually saw your book in a bookstore on a shelf, and that was pretty cool. And so that was hugely rewarding in my mind and uh, book did fairly well. Uh, it's been printed, I think in four languages now and, um, you know, sold about last I looked, it was in the 40,000 kind of copy range, which isn't um, like, it's not, you know, uh, Barack Obama bestseller, but it's a, uh, I, I respect, you know, respectable in terms of how many copies it sold. And, um, you know, it's, it's kind of cool 20 years later, you'll be sitting on an airplane or in business and somebody will say they read your book and it's, it's a pretty cool feeling. That's awesome. Yeah. One thing I also wanted to ask about is, um, so, you know, a large part of our audience, let's say half, half of our audience is on active duty. And mm -hmm. I know many people want to become entrepreneurs. And, and one of the questions for them is like, do I do that right out of the gates or do I go either get educational experience or work experience or in your case, both. And I'm just kind of curious your thoughts for, someone in that position, someone who wants to start something, whether you would advise to pick up skills at school or in the workplace or just how to approach that thought of like when, when to do it. Yeah. Really good questions you're asking. I, again, I think it depends on the person, right? I, for me, I think it would have been really hard to jump straight out of the military into business without having that business fundamental kind of some business fundamentals. So I'm sure there's people that can do that. And, or have an idea that makes sense for them to go pursue without, you know, any type of business experience. I would think that would be the exception based on my experience. So getting either some edu an educational background um, or getting some practical hands-on experience before you go launch your own idea probably makes sense for more people. Right. Um, so I definitely would recommend that. I'd also, you know, want, you've already brought it up and not, but I'm going to bring it up again, just because I think it's so important is to network with other veterans I can't tell you how many times I contacted a, vet, a veteran, especially when it's somebody from your own service, but not, not limited to my own service, right? I contact a Marine or somebody who was in the army and I say, Hey, I, you know, I'm network. I'd like to network with you and just start there. And I think networking with other veterans, especially um, that might be in the domain that you plan to work in is super important. And I, I've never been denied a request to network with a veteran. And I, Personally, I can say I've never denied one myself because I think it's so important um, to go to do that networking and, and ask and ask questions. And, and, and maybe you do have what it takes to go start right away without any, um, you know, any experience. But I, I would definitely make sure you, you are eyes wide open in terms of what it's going to take. And I think networking is a great way to help with that. Awesome. Well, I always like to leave the last question open-ended, which is, um, you know, we've covered a lot of ground here, but is there either anything we didn't talk about that you want listeners to know or just any final thoughts you'd like to leave with listeners? 
Yeah. Um, one thing I did want to add is, you know, there's a lot of really great organizations out there that um, there's some real obvious ones out there, right? Like you can go Google, you know, get help, how, how veterans can get help, how veteran entrepreneurs can get help. And, you know, anything from, you know, getting veteran oriented loans, SBA loans, things like that. But like right here in Boise, there's a organization called uh, Mission 43 that, that is exclusively geared to helping veterans transition from the military to civil, civilian life. And whether that's veterans who are retiring, but, you know, the more common one is veterans who are looking for jobs. And, you know, um, so, you know, specific call out for Mission 43. But at the same time, I know in other communities, there's um, organizations like that that are really out there looking and with the exact mission to help veterans. And in talking with like the reason I bring up Mission 43 is I know that the, the, one of the leaders of that organization is like they're always looking to help more and more veterans. Right. I would say not enough veterans are even coming to them and they they. They're out there. They're out there with that exclusive purpose, and um, so definitely tap organizations like that as well, and and go and look for the the ones that are specific to your community as well. Awesome, Vincent. Well, thank you so much for your time. I'll put in the show notes at beyondtheinformed.org a uh, link to Mission Forty Three as well as the the book The Marine Corps Way, so you can check that out. But thank you for your time and advice today. Yeah, I really appreciate you doing this, Justin. This is a uh, really important and really meaningful. So. Uh, Thanks, thanks for the service you're providing in, 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 uh, in doing this. So thank, and thanks for having me on today. I really appreciate it. Beyond the Uniform is written and produced by me, Justin Siri, with help from our chief of staff, Steve Bain, and our editor, Kathleen Dillon. We are an all-volunteer organization and would greatly appreciate your help in any of the following ways. First, spread the word. Beyond the Uniform has over 330 podcast episodes and 15 on-demand webinars, all offered for free. Help us spread the word on social media, at military bases, or whatever gets this resource in front of more men and women who need it. Positive reviews on iTunes go a long way towards this as well. Second, sponsorship. Beyond the Uniform relies on sponsorship to keep us going. There is so much more we'd like to do, but we don't have nearly the resources to do so. If you know of a company that would like to advertise in any way with Beyond the Uniform, please send them to beyondtheuniform.org. Third, donations. If you're in a financial position to donate, you can find more information on the support section of beyondtheuniform.org. At our website, beyondtheuniform.org, you'll also find 330-plus episodes categorized by industry, functional role, and more. You'll find a link for live events, typically four per month. You'll also find both free and for-purchase books that take a deeper dive on topics related to career growth. Thank you for your support as we aim to help members of the military and their families thrive in their post-military career and life.